What's going on, everybody? This is Rafiki, and welcome to Power BT, a podcast that will take you to the West Indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly. Here, we will also dive into the history, culture, and literature inspired by the region I call home and the parts of the world that help build it into what it is today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Power BT, episode 9, um, almost episode 10, so I'm just glad to be doing this every week and sharing an episode every week with you guys. Um, this week, this past week, I didn't really do too much. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen like the debut of like The Last of Us, um, so for those who are not familiar, The Last of Us is a... Um, it's a new TV show on like HBO Max. It's like an apocalyptic zombie show. They made two video games of it. And I think even before that, it was actually a comic. Um, and so normally I wouldn't really talk about something like this, but I wanted to particularly talk about the casting of The Last of Us because, um, the main, one of the main character, their daughter, they casted them as, um, a black girl, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and so that kind of ties into some other things I've watched this week, such as this old, it's not old, but it came out in the summer, this Netflix animated film called Intergalactic, starring Kid Cudi, and I think they had 2 chains in it, um, and even Jaden Smith made, like, a appearance in it. Um, so, like, very black um, show, or I should say, like, animated film. And even, like, the new Velma TV sh- series they started, inspired by Scooby-Doo, um, I don't, I don't know if Velma's black. I think it's very easy to assume that when a character, character is dark skinned that they're black. Um, but I kind of bring all these things up because I wanted to touch upon the, like, the importance of diverse characters in media and how they improve storytelling and readership. I think that, you know, I saw someone, I can't remember their name, but they are a disabled advocate, um, and they talk a lot about, like, disabled people and like how media works with disabled people and things like that and they of course they're black so they talk about the intersections of like being disabled being black being a woman I love their stuff their stuff is great and I remember at one point they talked about diversity and how time and time again diversity always proves to make more money more money than exclusion I don't know why I cannot talk today but they talked about how diversity always shows up to make more money than excluding people does and so i say all this in light of the new last of us episode there's only one episode out it comes out on sundays and i just know that while the story is really good like um and while the writers did a great job i find that you know stories like this with the fan bases they have they tend to be super heated and super angry about um you know casting when like a comic or video game is adapted into a show or when you know one form of a story is changed into another and they add like black and brown characters a lot of the hardcore fans get really upset um and of course a lot of those hardcore fans are are people who might not be minorities um in any shape or form and i just wanted to kind of reiterate that it's it's so important to have diversity and it's not it's not even just for the children a lot of times people talk about the importance of diversity for black children and and while that is true i'm not i'm not arguing against that point diversity is important for the adults you know and i say that because all of us have a child within us you know so when you're grown and you see like 
you know, Chloe Bailey be the Little Mermaid, you know, and you see films like Intergalactic or even Wendell and Wilde, which are for children and then sometimes for adults, and it simply has black people in it. You know, it's not, it doesn't just have a, a big effect on the children. It has a big effect on us as adults. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit just because that was like the bulk of my free time this week. Um, and, you know, I always try to tie in something related to media and writing and, you know, some type of art. So I kind of just wanted to touch on um, black characters or not even just black, but diverse characters and why they improve storytelling um, because obviously we get that we get that view into another person's life, you know, and not in the sense that, oh, my God, like Spider-Man is black. So it just changes everything. But Spider-Man, for example, Miles Morales being black does change a lot. It, it changes who he is as a hero compared to Peter Parker, you know, because Peter Parker. Yeah, they're both from New York, but Peter Parker is not a black kid in New York. Peter Parker is a white kid in New York. And while I don't know that much about Miles Morales. Um, to give the full scope on his story and why him as Spider-Man is different than Peter Parker as Spider-Man. I know from being black that, you know, him being Spider-Man is different. Because a black character, even if it's in a made-up fictional world, sets a different tone than a white character. And that goes for any character from a different background, from a different place. Um, so I kind of wanted to touch on that today. I really hope you guys have been enjoying your week. I'm really enjoying making these episodes and kind of touching on different things I find interesting. And I'm really excited to get into today's story. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to give a recap of Karaku's Big Drum Dance and what it is and reestablish why I'm doing this work and why it matters to me. So if you're new to Power BT, um, Power BT is a Caribbean you know, podcast centered around like art and writing and culture and history. But the big bulk of what constitutes the creative work that is part of this podcast is inspired by Karaku's Big Drum Dance. Um, and so if you want more information on Karaku's Big Drum Dance, you should definitely refer to episode five um, to learn more about it. I go about I talk about Karaku's Big Drum Dance in a lot of detail. Um, but currently what we are in within this podcast is a section called the Chromanti Collection. So to recap all this in a quick way, Karaku's Big Drum Dance is an African diasporic religion. Um, and why it is, while it is not you know necessarily viewed as such by people in Karaku, by everybody in Karaku, because people have their own traditions, and Karaku is a predominantly Christian place, as is much of the... West Indies, um, those who study African religion and religions in general have obviously determined by the way the structure of Karaku's Big Drum Dance is. They've determined that it is a religion. It does have religious and spiritual um, importance to people within Karaku. And not only that, it has given people in Karaku um, a way to connect to the African continent in a way that other people do not have. Um, I was actually doing more research on this last night, and a source I was I found was telling me that up until the 1970s, people within Karaku could trace themselves clearly um, or felt connected clearly to the nations of Karaku, um, which are found within this traditional religion. So um, 
even though my family, my mom's parents are from Karaku, um, I, my Nana, her mother passed away when, um, when I was very young. And so I never, I didn't have the interest in this that I did then. And so I never got to ask if she knew this information and no one who I'm aware of in my family knows this information um, of who my family might be uh, connected to, which nation. So Karaku's Big Drum Dance, we have nations similar to other African religions such as Haitian Vodun. Um, and so these nations include the Cromanti, which is the Akan. Um, we also have the Igbo, the Temne, the Hausa, the Banda, the Moko, the Manding, the Congo, and the Arada. Um, and the Arada are, are specifically Fon and Ewe groups from what is now Benin and what was modern day Dahomey. Um, and so you see like the Arada in Haitian Vodun, you see um, the Igbo in Haitian Vodun as well and um, others, especially the Cromanti. So I call these collections of stories since episode six, I believe. Um, I call this the Cromanti collection because the stories I'm narrating have been inspired by the songs um, of the Cromanti nation. So Karaku's Big Drum Dance, we have, it is a, it is an oral tradition as well as a religion. And so we have upwards of 127 songs of which I have nearly half in my possession in some capacity. And so based on the organization of, you know, researchers and, and teachers and um, other people, I have compiled my own notes and decided to write short stories inspired by um, these songs. And so particularly, um, we are, I'm writing stories inspired by the Cromanti um, and even more specifically, the Cromanti song or the big drum dance song, Negla Wive, um, also known as Don Don. So I think given that recap, I, you know, I, I want to emphasize or not even emphasize, like share the fact that I did not grow up hearing stories like this. Um, and I say that because it's, it's clear that I have an interest in writing and and in storytelling, but I did not really grow up hearing stories like this. I didn't grow up as Caribbean as my family is. I didn't grow up hearing like Anansi stories or anything like that. I think as people like to say, the time that children sit around their parents and grandparents and listen to stories that have been told for generations, that time is coming to an end, if it, if not completely over. Um, and while I did not hear those traditional stories that often, you know, my, my dad is from Guyana, and so I heard a lot of stories from my grandma about living in Guyana and then some Guyanese superstitions like the Baku is one of them. Um, while I did hear stories like that, sometimes a lot of the stories I heard had to do with my personal family or experiences that my family members had. And these were passed down to me by my mom. So while... I think while traditional stories, the practice of sharing those has died down, I don't think oral storytelling will ever die. I don't think that will ever go away, even with the presence of, you know, physical storytelling through writing, through tweeting and stuff like that. Oral storytelling will never die. And um, I think that's important to remember because I think especially as 
with black people, like for the for the black audience that is here. I mean, if you're not part of that, that's fine too. But you know, as African descended people, you know, oral storytelling um, is a big part of who we are and who we have been, and um, it's important. It's important to to hold on to and to continue practicing. But you know, it's a reminder that you don't have to change your daily life. You know, you telling a story to your friend on FaceTime is a, is oral storytelling, and you know whether it lasts and gets passed down from that friend to someone else. You know, it's still a story that was told by word of mouth, and it still has a place in in heritage. And that's a big part of why I am doing this podcast, because I've always had a passion for writing, and I've always carried my culture on my back. And Power BT is my way of holding on to it and sharing it with others. Um, And it's been a way to not only help me understand myself, but even connect with people I have never met people whose names I only know, you know, by word of mouth and by looking into my family history. So obviously, you know, people talk about like ancestors this and ancestors that. And I know this is taking a different turn, but like if you're a spiritual person or if you're interested in in different traditional practices or indigenous practices like ancestors, they have a certain importance. I literally saw this video today with Toni Morrison and someone was asking her if, if she believed in the fact that ancestors can come down and influence her life. And she said yes. She said she never did before, but she said she does now. And part of why she believes that that can happen is because in her, her training and her education, she's always been taught the opposite. She's always been taught that these things are not possible. But when she started to write and and tell stories and and ask certain questions the answers came from the you know superstitions she was told to ignore and the folk stories that people said was nonsense and other things like that and when she said that it really struck a chord in me because I felt the same I mean my parents they would say that some of the stuff I believed in was stupid and at the same time when I would bring it up or, or tell them I had to experience something you you can always tell when someone's like hmm like I don't I don't think that's true but then there's a part of them that does believe in it and maybe that's the older part of us you know the 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 shared part of the ancestral memory in us that even if it is or is not true that's up for people to debate with each other and with themselves that story whether it's superstition or not played a certain role in how we as people live life and that's why I find it important and that's why i think storytelling is important whether it's oral or whether it is you know with pen and paper or writing on a keyboard and that's why i keep you know doing things like that that's why i keep writing you know it it feeds something in my spirit and it helps me venerate those who have come before me so i kind of wanted to share that tidbit um the song we're talking about today is called negla Vive, also known as don don and this song is interesting because from what I've seen, it's one of the longer songs that have been preserved within the big drum dance tradition. So a lot has been lost just because of the change in language and, um, you know, modernization. So as people become more modern, quote unquote, and look to Western ideals and European ideals of like how to live life and how to exist, um, they abandon some things that might be more traditional. So um, 
we have I've I've kind of seen this in Grenada or in Karaku with people, you know, practicing big drum dance um or saraka less and less. I actually saw this interview where Alan Lomax, the American ethnomusicologist, he went back to Karaku in the nineteen nineties, thirty years after he had first went and done the majority of his recordings. And by the by that time he did not interview um, the woman who was in the first interview, which I've shared in episode five, he interviewed a man. And the difference in those 30 years and in those individuals was that in the first interview, the woman he had interviewed had said that the ancestors come and accept the food. They partake in the big drum dance and the tombstone feast and they, you know, do their thing, essentially. But the man in the 1990s, um, he had said that that does not happen. He said that it's out of respect and that the dead don't don't eat and they, they don't do anything like that. And I think that it just shows the difference in, you know, periods of time. Um, in a time when Karaku and Grenada have been their own independent country for, um, I think, maybe 30 odd years at that time. And, you know, when like there's the advent of the Internet and things like that, um, and I just I don't know what goes through those people's minds, but I know that despite all of that, this song Negla Vive is is one of the longer songs, um, and I think one of despite maybe not being sung anymore, it has a lot of information on it in terms of lyrics, in terms of audio recording, um, and things like that. So essentially, Negla Vive means the black man has arrived. Um, and I'm going to play this song and kind of break down the lyrics even further um, and just kind of give you guys insight into the song and, and what I like about it before sharing the story I have written inspired by it. Um, so we're going to play this recording really quickly. So I think what's interesting to note here is that I think compared to the other Cromanti songs that I have showcased or shared, this one does not talk about anyone in particular. Don Don, I'm not sure if that is a name. Um, it sounds like it could be a name or if they're getting someone's attention. 
But as I said, negla wive means the Negro man has arrived. And then we are kende sounds like we, like yes in French. And then a kende is in kende. So um, then the next line is don don negla wive. And it's important to know that negla wive is a question. So they're asking, has the Negro man arrived? And then the next person is saying, yes, at kende, when they say we are kende. Um, and then the next like stanza or, or verse is very similar. And the only thing that really changes is instead of saying negla wive, they say negla bake or bashe, which is the Negro man embarked. So I mean, when you embark on a trip, you leave. And now they're saying we are kende. So yes, the Negro man embarked or he left. And he left or departed Karaku at Kende. So, like I said, this song is kind of interesting because we're not talking about anyone in particular. Um, and initially, when I found this song, I thought I did not know it was affiliated with any of the nations. I actually had to go through several different sources that had their own recordings of the songs and um, categorizations to find that this one was labeled as a Cromanti song. Um, and so it just makes me think because this song is not talking about anyone in particular i'm wondering if it is like a song where people might be working on the plantation or maybe going into town and you know doing their jobs um as enslaved people and they might be singing about people arriving and departing either as slaves or as free people obviously the the subject of the song is is black people specifically black men um and maybe at one point in time, it was more clear that their nation was Cromanti because this is labeled as a Cromanti song. Um, but other than that, there's not that much information on the song. It's just the longest song that I've seen, um, not only in terms of the length of the recording. Um, and the recording is fairly clear compared to others. You know, this is sung by Mary Fortune and not all the songs are, are sung by her, which I feel like is unfortunate because she is able to pronounce the patois and sing it fairly well compared to the other um composers who are part of these recordings and projects um but yeah i find the song very interesting and i just i wonder if there's a deeper meaning to it but it led me to write a story that i called um the old parents have come and while i know that like the last song chromati kujo to re-emphasize that is the song people sing to call in the ancestors which are called old parents um so while this song does not do that i just like how the the energy of the song is talking about people showing up people arriving and it doesn't particularly talk about their condition and it doesn't specifically name anyone but it just made me think about um the the ancestors coming and and for whatever purpose or However, they got there is unknown, but that is the story that I'm going to narrate um, next. I just wanted to once again, you know, lead with the following disclaimer that this story um, I'm narrating is a work of my own fiction, and it is not the origin of the big drum dance song, Negla Wive. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you really quick. And I hope you guys enjoy the story. Um, don't forget to share this podcast with people you know. Listen to it a million times. Um, and even use the hashtag PowerBT, which is spelled the same as the title of this podcast. So I encourage you all to, to sit back, relax, grab something to eat, drink some water, 
and listen to the story, The Old Parents Have Come. In the beginning, there was not light and darkness, nor wind and earth, nor water and fire. In the beginning, there was no duality, no either or. In the beginning, there was a spiral, a ceaseless wheel connected by strands of silk. It is on this plane that everything exists, connected by wisps of thread and dewdrops. It is here that things take place. Humid, sweltering air radiated from the old polished pews of St. Lawrence's Catholic Church as the small congregation swayed side by side, clapping their hands eerily as they sang for God Almighty. I have a sword in my hand, in my hand, the congregation lamented. Help me to use it now. Pastor Carmichael, a bald, heavy-set black man, stood at the head of the congregation, his thick brow furrowed as he led the worship session. The white cloth of his cassock had grown dark with sweat, but he didn't falter in the heat. Tell God to help you. Call St. Michael to help you use that sword in Jesus' name. The congregation grew bolstered by their priest's words, and they continued on in shaky harmony. I'm going away, gone down and pray. Help me to use it now. St. Michael, Pastor Carmichael yelled, we call on you to swing your sword ahead of us. Help us use your sword to clear a path to heaven, to clear a path to salvation. Neither Carmichael nor the congregation noticed as an old man, midway through his 40s, entered the church. He slipped in without a sound, his dark hand closing the heavy front door silently, and his feet seemingly gliding across the floor. It was as if he were a jumbie, hidden until he decided who amongst the living needed to see him. Pastor Carmichael wiped the sweat from his brow with a handkerchief, and his eyes settled upon the newest member of the church's sermon. As if sensing his distraction, the congregation's hymn weakened, with a final voice carrying on the tune before breaking. Good morning, Brother Vernon, a woman said to the new visitor. Brother Vernon nodded in return, his hardened face set on Pastor Carmichael. Unlike the pastor, Vernon did not have a flowing white cassock to cover his frame. Instead, he wore an olive green collared shirt with brown slacks, followed by worn, sand followed by worn sandals. A gold ring glinted from where it lay on his finger, while the beaded necklace he wore nearly blended into his skin. Thanks for coming today, everyone, Carmichael said through tight lips. Go on to your homes. Go where the Lord sends you. Don't stray. Vernon chuckled dryly. I've been there in the yard since service started not too long ago. It's too early to end it. Don't you think, Pastor? It's where you want the people to run off to. If you're tired preaching, I have my own sermon I could share. No, not in my church. Not in God's house, I mean. Vernon stood, his muscular body a contradiction to the delicate movements he used as he slid out from the pews into the center aisle. Your church? You must see built this place and we ain't know. Carmichael began to huff in anger. It's where you want, Vernon. If you don't have nothing important to say, then leave this place. Oh, I have something to say. The old parents is coming. The congregation murmured amongst themselves 
as Vernon's words rang through the church like a tolling bell. Pastor Carmichael sucked his teeth in annoyance, but his heart twanged with guilt. There was a time when Vernon had been a loyal member of the church, and when the two of them had been close friends. Carmichael remembered the night everything changed vividly. Vernon had come to Carmichael's house at midnight, his eyes frantic, his expression wild. Carmichael! Vernon had pounded on the door. Carmichael, I call you. It's me, Vernon. Carmichael opened the door groggily in nothing but a large white t-shirt and his shorts. Vernon, why are you making so much noise for this time of night? I had a dream, Carmichael. A dream? You wake me up to tell me you had a blasted dream? Vernon had shook his head. Not just a dream, Carmichael, a vision. The old parents, the ancestors aren't happy with things here. They want us to prepare for their arrival. Carmichael yawned. So it's time for a Sarka. That's no reason to wake me up in the middle of the night, Vernon. We can't just do a Sarka. This is bigger. The old parents are coming. Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4, Vernon had quoted. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Carmichael had leaned into Vernon's face with malice a priest should not possess. Listen to me, Vernon, and listen carefully. The people of this island may have one hand in ancient African tradition and culture and the other hand in God's embrace, but I will not allow the lines to blur further. Do not quote the Bible when you speak a big drum. I won't stand for it. Carmichael's mind slipped out of the lucid memory, and his eyes met Vernon's as the latter neared the pulpit. In the year that had passed since that night, Vernon had not only grown fit, he had become wild. His energy was similar to that of the Rasta men, but clearer, not obscured by Jamaican patois and marijuana smoke. Vernon stepped onto the pulpit, an obvious challenge. Carmichael opened his mouth to speak but froze as his father's face flashed in Vernon's expression. He stepped back in awe as his mother's face appeared in Vernon's eyes, followed by another deceased family member, then another. Soon the faces were a blur, flashing like images in an old motion picture. Vernon simply smiled and gripped the sides of the pulpit, deeply breathing and closing his eyes as if collecting himself. He was right. Carmichael thought to himself, shaking his head in disbelief. They're here. He rushed into the church's tiny blistering closet, summoned by a force he did not know, and pulled out an old drum half his size. Vernon glanced back at him, his smile continuing before turning his attention to the congregation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Vernon waited for the words to sink in. Have you ever talked about those trumpets and how they sound? Have you talked about this verse and what it means? The, an old man spoke for the people. You said the old parents are coming. Who? The ancestors, Vernon answered, cutting him off. It's them who is coming, just as the good Lord said. We've had we ears closed when the trumpets have been playing all around for centuries. 
Carmichael produced a bottle of white rum mysteriously and poured a bit over his hands, then a bit on the polished wooden floor. Vernon slowly passed his gaze over the congregation, and tears welled in each individual's eyes as they caught glimpses of their, of their loved ones. Carmichael tapped the bullet drum three times before falling into a familiar rhythm. Sing with me, Vernon urged. Sing with me. Don, don, negla weave, we are kende, don, don, oh, negla weave, we are kende. I mama negla bake, we are kende, don, don, oh, negla weave, we are kende. Don, don, oh, negla weave, we are kende. Ay, 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 negla weave, we are kende. Oh, don, don, negla weave, we are kende, don, don, oh, negla weave, we are kende. The church answered back to Vernon's call, and Vernon answered back to them. And Carmichael, once the pastor of St. Lawrence's Catholic Church, became the drummer of St. Lawrence's Catholic Church. Well, everyone, I hope you liked today's story. Like I said, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I am not afraid to, you know, sing these songs. I actually sing them all the time. And I'm not saying I'm great at singing them, but I think that, you know, part of me has wanted to play the recording, you know, within the story. But I also feel like depending on the the story and how it's going, like this character is a man. So if I were to play the recording of the of the song and it's being sung by a woman, I don't think it would do the story any justice. And of course, I, I think as a writer, I could always make that that decision to make the main character a woman. Um, but I didn't want to do that. I decided to use, you know, brother. I don't know anyone named Carmichael. I just figured that the way Karaku is set up, you do have people who look at Big Drum in different capacities. Some people see it as a spiritual dance a spiritual practice and other people just see it as a form of you know cultural expression and i tried to kind of showcase that with carmichael because in the tidbit where he's remembering his conversation with vernon he he mentions the fact that well if this is how you feel let's just have a saraka which is another name for big drum the big drum dance um but he doesn't see it as equivalent to christianity or to like the Bible, and he doesn't see it as that important. And while he honors, he respects, you know, Karaku's culture as a Caribbean island that has like two religious things going on in a unique history, he doesn't want to conflate to the two he believes that is a mistake. And I think that that's something that kind of speaks to African religion within the diaspora as a whole, whether it's Haitian Vodun or, you know, Santeria in Cuba, or even, you know, Hoodoo here in the United States amongst African-Americans. You know, there is a level of syncretism in all of them. Um, and while I think we're in a place where these religions and practices are becoming destigmatized, as well as other things within black culture, um, there's there's people who, who have a time and place um, and people who um, they might have a respect, but they don't they don't emphasize the continuation of certain practices. They, they wouldn't care if these things died. Um, and I, I try to showcase, you know, a little distinction between Carmichael and Vernon. It wasn't clear. It wasn't that clear. But even in the ways they spoke, like, of course, they're both in the West Indies. So they both have accents. But 
if you guys could see how the dialogue is written between the two um there's when you look at caribbean dialects you have what is called uh, or even not just dialects because these are formal languages um, you have what are called different variants of this creole so you have what is called like a mesolect which is in between like the standard language and the strongest version of the creole um and then you have a face select and just people who study linguistics they they know how these things work but essentially the the mesolect is what's spoken by a lot of middle class people so people who might be teachers priests and you know businessmen so they work with people both in the upper class and the lower class and then you have the base select which is the speech of quote-unquote illiterate rural people so my mom's parents would be said would be said to have spoken the base select version of Karaku's english patois um and then obviously the the richest people who have the most formal education have maybe even traveled to the states or to europe to further their education they speak what is called the acrolect so that is a speech of upper class people who um speak very properly you can tell they have an accent they might even be able to get rid of their accent um, but most people speak in the mesolect so they they switch between all of them um or they switch in between so i think even with my own family um, my Guyanese family specifically they speak like the mesolect version there are times when you know they just have an accent and they say everything in what's standard english and then there are times when they you know talk amongst themselves and they speak um you know more Guyanese creole so i kind of try to showcase that in this sense between these two characters with carmichael being a priest and therefore having some level of status um and maybe even formal education and vernon while he was in the church i think i tried to show that he wasn't as formal and i also tried to showcase that with the fact that he's 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 practicing the big drum dance as a staple in his own religious life and in karaku big drum is informal while christianity is formal so people go to church however many days a week but big drum is done several times a year sometimes it's not even done in a year um and i just try to showcase that between the two characters as well and you know just kind of wanted to emphasize on syncretism and how people have their hand in both how people draw allusions to both how mary fortune in her interview she said that big drum is part of being a christian to her i'm not a christian at all but to her big drum is part of being a christian within karaku and she's a catholic um so i just kind of wanted to touch on those tropes and tie these things together in the story and i really hope you all enjoyed it um please as i said prior i think earlier in this episode please share this with people who might be interested um leave a review um use the if you have anything to say use the hashtag powerbt which is the name the same as the title and you can follow me on instagram and twitter at rafiki um check out my novel radiance lost and i think down the line i will try to get an instagram page set up for this podcast just so you guys can follow it more closely and you don't have to be involved in my own personal posts if you don't want to be um, but thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being here. Um, and I am excited to see you all next week with episode 10. We're getting pretty far. So once again, thank you for your support. And I hope you guys enjoy your day.